Amen. Everybody good this morning? That's what I'm talking about. We need to have Easter every week. That's what I'm talking about. That's good stuff. Awesome, man. Well, my name is Michael Page. I'm the lead pastor here at Connection Church Savannah. Uh, if it's your first time here um, on this Easter, what a great first Sunday to visit, right? Um, I just want to welcome you and just, just tell you how honored we are that you're here um, as a guest. We value your presence here. Uh, I just want to say happy Resurrection Sunday, man. I, I've just been overwhelmed with the Lord's presence this week as I've been like pouring into Luke 24, just looking at the what led up to this event of seeing Jesus rise from the dead and defeating death, defeating sin, defeating um, the, the powers of hell on our behalf. Like what, better, what better thing is there to celebrate than that this morning? My heart this morning is that we would see that Jesus is risen, and today we're going to celebrate what the resurrection means to you and me and for the rest of the world. So um, for those of you that follow Christ, for those of you that, that claim to follow Christ and, and follow Him in your life, like today is a special day. It's a day where we look back and we remember Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. We went through uh, you know, Good Friday, and we saw uh, Jesus crucified and buried. We saw all these things coming to, for our benefit, but, but it's also a celebration of things to come because we know that Jesus didn't stay in the grave, right? And that's the reality that we need to get past this morning because I want to tell you what God's been doing in my heart this week is I've been poured into Luke chapter 24, verses 1 to 12. If you want to turn there, you can. That's where we're going to be at this morning. Is I'm amazed at Paul or Peter's reaction to uh, the resurrection of Jesus. And I'm also, God's just been putting these things in my heart as I've been thinking this week personally, is like we come to church or maybe this morning, this is your first time to church in a while. And you know what? I, I just want to tell you, uh, welcome. I want to celebrate you and thank you for being here. Like it's, there's no, no judgment. You're, we want you to be a part of our family. And this morning, I just want to tell you like what God's been doing in my heart this week is that he's been asking me questions as I've been reading and I've, I've heard the gospel since I was young. I was in, I was in church since I was seven years old. I, I left and came back, and the Lord brought me back. And, and I, I've heard the resurrection story, you know, almost 40 times now, right? Um, just say how old I am. Almost 40 times I've heard the resurrection story of Jesus. And But God really put a question on my heart this morning, but this week as I was reading this, has the resurrection affected the way that you've lived? Because the way that you live mirror the fact that you believe in someone who rose from the dead. And that same resurrection power now lives in you. Does your life mirror that? You know what I mean? And so my heart is today is we would ask ourselves that same question. The Bible says that God made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What does that mean? It means that on the cross so many thousands of years ago, that God poured every ounce of sin that you have ever committed, that every single soul in the world has ever committed, poured it into Jesus' body, and then allowed him to be crucified on the cross. For a moment, for a brief moment, God turned his face away from his one and only son, allowed him to be crucified on a cross for your sins and for my sins, so that God may be glorified and so that you and I can live in the righteousness of God. He took my sin upon his shoulders and took it to a cross. And this morning, my heart would be, and every person in this room that knows Christ, their heart would be that if you don't know the Lord this morning, if you've been following a religion and not a person of Jesus, is that you would come to this altar, and this, you would come to the cross this morning and give your life to him. This is not about a, a church service. This is not about a, a religion to follow. This is not about a, a set of rules to abide by. This is a person to follow. Jesus is alive and in heaven. He rules and reigns, and he will forever. And I'm excited to one day witness him on his throne, kneeling before him. I just want to say thank you, Jesus. And this morning, that's my heart for you. What better news is there than this, that my sins don't have to be counted against me anymore. And all I have to do is come before just God and say, thank you, God, I just, put, I just surrender my life. I submit to your rule in my life. What better story, what better gospel is there than this? But guys, I guess what? If the resurrection didn't happen, then everything else we believe is pointless. You're wasting your time here today, right? But if it did, then nothing can stay the same. Nothing in your life can stay the same if the resurrection happened. The way you live, the way you, you treat your spouse and your children, the way that you go to your job, the way that you spend your money, the way that you love Jesus, nothing can stay the same if Jesus rose from the dead. 
The way we live can never be the same. Without the resurrection, the cross was meaningless. It was pointless. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 15. He said, if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is in vain, and so is your faith. Because if Christ died on the cross but didn't rise from the dead, it's, it's, it's pointless. And the, one of the weightiest questions that I want to ask you this morning, before you leave this place, I pray that it pierces your heart. Christian, non-Christian alike, what are you going to do with Jesus? What are you going to do with the resurrection? What are you going to do with that? Because a non-decision is no decision. It's a rejection of Christ altogether. When we hear the gospel, we are faced with the cross. We must respond. I'm a, if you've never heard the gospel this morning, I'm, I'm going to curse you a little bit because I'm going to tell you the gospel. And you have to respond to the gospel. And that's just a, a reality of every man in the world because not responding is rejecting Christ, rejecting the cross, rejecting salvation, and we don't get a pass on this. It's not about your truth or my truth. It's about the truth. And that's our heart today is that we would see what Christ has done because at the center of Christianity is not a, it's not a new moral code. It's not a new perspective of life. It's not, it's, there's an empty tomb that literally changes everything because moral, moral righteousness is not the way back to God. You cannot clean yourself up. There's nothing that you can do to get back to God. There's nothing that you can do. There's no amount of reading the Bible. There's no amount of loving your spouse. There's no amount of coming to church. There's no amount of worshiping in your car that will get you back to the Father. The only way back to the Father is through Jesus and what he's done on the cross. There's none of this, if I'm good enough, God will accept me. If I do enough, God will reward me. That's what every religion in the world teaches. And this is what sets our faith in Jesus apart from every other religion on the planet. Guys, religion creates this appeal of moral self-reform. I'm going to clean myself up. I'm going to do better. I'm going to start working out money. I'm going to start doing it, right? We do that all the time. I'm going to do better. I'm going to do better. I'm going to white-knuckle this thing until I die, and hopefully I make it in. Guys, what if I told you today there is a way to be sure of your salvation? There's a way to be sure that you don't have to ask the question of uh, maybe I am, maybe I'm not. Maybe I, maybe I am, maybe I will, maybe I won't. This is what religion teaches you guys. I want to tell you, it's a lie from the, from the pits of hell is what religion is. It's a trap. Spoiler alert, it's a trap. The enemy wants to trap you in religion. I can be good, God will be impressed. That's a lie. There's nothing that you or I have to offer God that will impress him. I'm sorry, but Jesus... Jesus, if I'm in Christ, I'll be, I'll be accepted. Listen, Jesus didn't come to fulfill the promises made in Scripture so that you and I could be better versions of ourselves. He didn't come to make you a better version of who you are. He came to make you new. He came to make you alive because you were dead in your sins before Christ. If you don't know Christ today, you are still dead in your sins. And my heart would be that you would be raised from the dead this morning spiritually, just like Christ did physically. And this is why we celebrate the resurrection. We don't just come and eat some peeps and find some eggs and do all these things because Christ rose from the dead so long ago. No, we look forward to the day where he, he raises us up from the dead. And we live with him, with the inheritance that's kept in heaven for us, where it will never spoil or fade. That's what the Bible says. I love the fact of what's going on today. But when, when let's see, Ephesians 2, Ephesians 2 tells us that before Christ we were dead in our sins. But when God sent Jesus to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins, what that means is Jesus made amends with God for us in our place. It says we're made alive in Christ the moment we meet Christ. So in so if this morning you're wondering what the Resurrection Sunday is all about or what the gospel is all about, that's it. The resurrection is at the center of the gospel. I was telling our teams this morning that were serving the people that you saw coming in who are, who are teaching your kids about the gospel this morning is that we don't celebrate the gospel just on Easter Sunday or Resurrection Sunday. We celebrate the, we celebrate the resurrection every week, right? So Because Jesus is still risen next week, right? That's the excitement of what we do as, as followers of Christ. And so let me pray for us this morning. If you've turned to Luke 24, you should be prepared. But my heart this morning is that you would have a heart that is tender for the Holy Spirit to work this morning, that you wouldn't be here to listen to a sermon or just to see someone baptized. You'd be here to experience the power of the Holy Spirit, the resurrection power of Jesus this morning in your life. So Father God, I praise you. I thank you for what you've done through Christ. God, I thank you, Lord, that, that there is a way back. God, we praise you for that, Lord. I, while so many ask why there's only one way, God, I praise you that there is even a way. God, I pray this morning that you would just open the eyes of the blind 
that you would open the eyes of the dead hearts this morning, that you would raise to life the spiritually dead in this room, God, and someone would come to death, to life this morning in the knowledge of who you are, Jesus. I pray for radical salvation to come out of this house this morning and every week that we open your word, Father. We love you. We thank you for all that you've done through Jesus. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the resurrection. We thank you for um, just all that you've done in this house, God, and all that you've done in this world through the, um, the power of your love. I pray this morning that every word spoken would be from you. God, I pray that you would hide the speaker behind the cross. God, that you would increase and I would decrease. Father, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. So today I just wanted to start um, with a principle, um, a quote from a great theologian um, named Tomater um, from the movie Cars. He taught me this growing up. He says, you can't know where you're going unless what? You know where you've been, right? Y'all don't know. Come on. You don't know where you're going unless you know where you've been. And I'm like, man, this has always stuck with me. Even from a young age, I was thinking about that. I, I was watching the movie when I was younger. Um, not much younger, but I was watching the movie when I was younger. And I was like, man, this, that's, a, that's a very profound statement. Everything has a starting point, right? Everything has a starting point. You know, you, 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 every job, every journey that you take, um, every living thing, uh, this morning, if you're here, you had a starting point, right? You had a starting point. Some of you were starting on purpose, Others of you, it might have been an accident, but it's okay. We're glad that you're here still. Um, but our faith, guys, has a starting point as well. Our faith has a starting point, a baseline for your belief. Some of you may be in here this morning being like, I don't know what I believe. You may be here this morning saying, well, I'm agnostic. I'm atheist. I'm here because my grandma brought me. I'm here because my friends told me I had to come. I'm just, I just want to make them be quiet because they've been inviting me for two years. If that's you, that's great. I'm glad you're here. My heart would be that you would understand that your faith has a starting point. For many of us, the starting point of our faith was our parents. Our parents told us this was true, so I followed what my parents said, right? Some of you are, it might have been, well, a pastor said this. Some of you may have been, a, well, the Bible says this. Um, one, of my, one of my heroes in the faith, Billy Graham, says, uh, the Bible says it, I believe it, and that settles it. Uh, that's where his faith stands. I think we can all know, we can all say that that is rarely good enough for a postmodern, post-Christian worldview that follows science and reason over faith. Right? So believe it or not, the, the apostle Peter seemed to have the same questions. Uh, Peter was always been a pretty trusting guy. As you look in scripture, after he became a Christian and follower of Jesus, he was a very trusting guy because he saw Jesus do something that nothing, that was a miracle. And he'd been one of the first ones to sign up to follow Jesus. But then Jesus was put on trial. We saw this last week. And everything in Peter's world came crashing down. Jesus wasn't supposed to die. Peter's like, what is happening? You're supposed, to conquer, um, you're supposed to conquer the Roman Empire and free Israel, and you're supposed to do all these things. He was supposed to deliver us. How could God let this happen? Anybody ever asked that question before? How can God let this happen? How can God let this happen to my life, my wife, my children, my finances? How could God let this happen? And if Jesus was so loving and in control, why had he left Peter and the other disciples alone by themselves in all this mess? Guys, it's easier for us in this realm of our lives to answer these questions. But for Peter, Peter didn't have the context of knowing what we know. The Holy Spirit hadn't been given yet. We, he, he, his, his understanding was limited here. But Peter's struggle with faith got so bad that he even outright denied being a follower of Jesus. I don't know the man. Anybody in this room ever outright just deny Jesus and say, you know, I don't, I, don't, I don't want him. I don't know him. Just cursing. Just, I don't, I don't, that, just think about just the devastation of that moment. But everything changed for him on one early Sunday morning, right? So let's look into Luke chapter 24. Let's look at the first 12 verses together. It says this. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the tomb bringing the spices they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. They went in, but did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed, perplexed about this, suddenly two men stood by them in dazzling clothes. So the women were terrified and bowed down to the ground. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? What a great statement, right? What a great question. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? This angel, this, this is obviously an angel in this moment. He's asking them a very obvious question. Jesus has told you that he's going to rise from the dead. He's going to come. He's going to die. He's going to rise. Why are you looking for somebody who said he was not be here? He goes on. He says, he is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, it is necessary that the Son of Man be betrayed into the hands 
of sinful men be crucified and rise on the third day. Apparently, the disciples were not listening and did not understand. Like, I think about my children right now. They're like, I'm like, do you hear what I'm saying to you? Did I not teach you English? Was there some other language that we're going with here? What's happening? You're not listening to what I'm saying. Pay attention. Sorry. And then they remembered his words. Verse 9, returning from the tomb, they reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the, other, the mother of James, and the other women with them were telling the apostles these things. But these words seemed like nonsense to them, and they did not believe the women. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. If you have a marker or, or a pen or a pen, circle, ran to the tomb. When he stooped in to look, he saw only the linen clothes. So he went away amazed at what happened. So Peter walked into this tomb with a discouraged, defeated doubter, someone who thought his life was over. He had blown it. He had done the worst of the worst. He had sinned beyond any kind of sin. But he walked out of that tomb as one of the most important leaders in the church. What changed, right? From this point on, what you see is the disciples look to Peter to lead them. Like, they look to Peter to guide them. So what was it that changed Peter? It wasn't some new revelation or insight at a Bible study, or it wasn't some new revelation into Jesus' teachings. No, he came face to face with a grave that should have had a body in it, but it didn't. Right? What today means, what the resurrection means is you can put truth in a grave, but it won't stay there. Do you see that this morning? That's my heart that we would see. Today, I want, you to, I want to put you, I want to put us, me and you, in Peter's shoes just for a minute. If you have a, uh, if you have a uh, vivid imagination or you have a, you, or you, what's the word I'm looking for? If you have a, you can see things better. You know, look, think about yourself in shoes of Peter in this moment because many of us, I would say, are like Peter, right? I, I think myself included, I, I think Peter's stubbornness is like, that's, that's me. I read, I, read the, I read verses about Peter and I'm like, that's me. I put my foot in my mouth way too much. I doubt way too much, right? Anybody else with me? Just me and, me and Thomas, we're good? Okay, cool. So, so today I want you to put yourself in that place, but maybe like Peter, you feel like God is, has you know, disappointed you or hasn't done things the way that you thought they should have been done. How many times are we, are we tempted to believe that we're better gods than God? How many times are we tempted to believe that we, we can do things better than our Father in heaven can do things? So many times we act that way. Or maybe you feel like you've disappointed him with your sin or your doubt. Maybe you've sinned too much. Maybe you've done that one thing you said you would never do again, but you did it again. Maybe, that, maybe the doubt in your heart, I just don't know if Jesus is real. Maybe you said that out loud and you feel bad about it. Maybe you don't know, your, maybe you don't know where your faith is this morning, but Peter had denied Jesus so many times that he felt like there were, his relationship was too far beyond repair. He felt like it was over, and that's why he ran to the tomb. That's why he was hoping beyond hope. My question this morning is, have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like you disappointed the Lord? Have you ever felt like you can't add up? Well, today I want, I want, to, I want, I want to let Peter explain some things to us. I want, I want him to explain the implications of an empty tomb that he walked in on that resurrection morning. And I think we can be tempted sometimes to become numb to the realness of the resurrection, right? We said this earlier this morning. Deep down, my heart would be to ask you, like, do you really believe that Jesus rose from the grave? And to really think through that for a second, because it's one thing to think about that from a place of my parents told me, my pastor told me, I grew up hearing, I thought about, that's, that's one way. But the other way, personally, do you really believe that Jesus rose from the grave? Well, the better question would be, what does your life say? Because you can speak it out loud, I believe that Jesus rose from the grave, but if your life isn't lived a certain way, I, I, you know, I would say you might not be telling the truth. You know, I think, you know, do you live like you follow a resurrected king, someone who defeated death on your behalf? Peter's life changed direction because he had a realization of the resurrection. A quote that I've shared in this room many a times, um, it says, the, the evidence of Jesus' resurrection is so strong that nobody would question it except for two things. First, it's a very unusual event. And second, if you believe it happened, you have to change the way you live. And I, I'll continue sharing that for many years to come because it's so pertinent to our faith. And so to Peter, the resurrection meant three things that changed the course of his life forever. Three things. I want to share them with you. The first thing that it, that it showed us was that Jesus was who he says he was. If there was any doubt in Peter's mind about Jesus being who he said he was, the doubt was gone. Because <laughs> he looked at a tomb 
that he had seen Jesus go into dead and he saw the tomb and he didn't find Jesus' body in that tomb. What you see in there, um, Tim Keller said this. He says, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. This morning, I don't know where you're at. I, I, there's a lot of you that are brand new this morning. I've never seen some of your faces. I'm glad that you're here. But the biggest question that you're going to have to answer this morning and every morning is what are you going to do with the resurrection and what are you going to do with Jesus? Because I just want to give you some bad news. Ten out of ten people in this room are going to die. And one day you're going to stand before the Lord. And that's a question that you're going to have to wrestle with before him. And my heart would be today that you would not leave here without answering that in the right way. Peter knew Peter knew about the resurrection because he had seen Jesus walk on water. He had seen Jesus raise the dead. He had seen him heal the sick. But now, now Jesus rising from the dead, that changes everything. Because the resurrection didn't make Jesus the Son of God. It just proved that he was. You see that? The, the resurrection didn't make Jesus the Son of God. He already was, but it just proved to us that he was the Son of God. If Jesus rose from the grave, then Jesus was who he claimed he was, regardless of how it contradicted Peter's reality. We live in a culture right now where everybody has their own version of truth. I have my truth, you have your truth, we have our... And I just want to tell you this morning, I don't know where you stand on any of that, but I just want to share with as much love as I can, there's only one truth. No matter what you believe or what I believe, what my feelings and emotion don't change the truth. My views don't change the truth. If you want to look at Scripture at Acts chapter 4, Peter gets into this heated argument with the top-tier leaders of his time. They knew every word of Scripture. They knew all of these things, the religious leaders of his time. They were saying that there's no way that Jesus could be the Messiah because of blank, 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 blank. And Peter says, comes in there, and he's, 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 look at how he's, him and John come in in Acts 4, 19 and 20, and they say, whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than to God, you decide. But we are unable to stop speaking about what? What we have seen and what we have heard. We don't follow a religion. We follow a man named Jesus. And that man named Jesus will confirm every word of this book. So don't get that twisted. In other words, what, what you're saying, what you see Peter saying here, he's saying, look, guys, I'm not saying I'm smarter than you because I, I, I know what I saw. And no offense to you, his resurrection trumps your religious views. His, re, his resurrection trumps the things of this earth, the, the things that you're trying to hold me to. And I just want to ask you personally, us in this room, like a family right now, to do a little thought experiment. Let's do a little thought experiment. In, in your own mind, take, take whatever objective objection, take whatever objection that you have to Christianity, whatever objection that you may have. Maybe it's there's so many different religions, they all say the same thing. Maybe it's there's too much pain and suffering in the world to believe in a God that loves. Maybe it's the Bible says homosexuality is wrong. I don't agree with that. Maybe, maybe and, and think about those things. And suppose that you had been the first one to the empty tomb. Suppose with all of your objections to the, to the things of our faith, Suppose you had been the first one to that tomb. My question to you is, would you be willing to let go of your objections to live with some unanswered questions? Are you okay with not knowing everything? Because that's part of where faith comes in. And that's where some people jump ship and they're like, ah, that's the problem. I can't go back and go to the tomb and see Jesus resurrected. But you see, guys, the breakdown is not the, the insufficiency of the evidence. But it's, it's fear and stubbornness that keeps us from considering the evidence on its own terms. And it's our pride. Another statistic that you might not like, 10 out of 10 people in this room are selfish, right? 10 out of 10 people in this room struggle with pride. You may be a little further along than I am, praise God, but we all struggle with pride. And this morning, my, my prayer is that we would let go of those two things. And one of two things happens here. One or two things happens when you come face to face with the evidence is you refuse to put your faith in Christ until God gives you all the answers. That's a prideful stance. You see that, right? Until I get all the answers, you, you, I, I'm not going to put my faith in Christ. And you refuse to consider the possibility that there is a God who runs the universe whose ways and thoughts and understanding is higher than mine. That's pride. 
God's ways are higher than ours. God's thoughts are higher than ours. God's understanding is beyond mine and yours. The second stance you can take is humbling yourself before God and say, okay, God, your ways are higher than my ways. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. God, have your way in my heart. Because we know that faith is not having all of your questions answered now. It's wrestling with the unexplainable, knowing that the unexplainable has an explanation based on the resurrection. The second thing we see, the second thing we see is Peter's past didn't define him anymore. Guys, how many times have we, uh, for those of you that are saved in this room who are following Christ, how many times has the enemy tried to bring back your past? A few times? Hey, remember what you did? Hey, remember what you said? Hey, remember how you did this? Remember how you hurt her? Remember how you hurt him? Remember how you lied about that? How you were prideful? Anybody else? It's just, I mean, listen, I'm in this boat by myself. It's okay, but I'm there. The enemy tries to wear me out with my sins of my past all the time. Vivid memories of things that he tries to throw in my path. Listen, from the outside looking in, Peter was messed up. I'm like, you look, at, you look at his profile on the Enneagram, you look at his profile on any business, and you, he was unhirable by most people, right? Listen, I'm right there with him, though. This dude denied Jesus three times. He, he, he denied Christ. I don't know the man. Like, whoa. Peter thought he had messed everything up beyond repair, but the resurrection meant that Peter's shortcomings no longer defined him. First Peter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, write this down. It'll be on the screen. It says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is Peter talking, the guy that we're reading about. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ because of what? His great mercy. Because of his great mercy, he has given us what? A new birth. You ever heard of people talking about being born again? Nicodemus was like, how do I go to my mother again and come back out? How does it? Peter's like, but Jesus is like, what are you talking about? Like, you are a religious leader of the world. Like, you should know what we're talking. You know the Bible better than anyone. You're talking like this. You're, you're thinking physical. I'm talking spiritual. You need to be spiritually reborn. He's given us a new birth into what? A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So you see the resurrection of Jesus Christ gives us that new hope. But not only that, verse 4 and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. That's some good news. If you're a follower of Christ this morning, that's good news. If you're not a follower of Christ this morning, that can be about you. <laughs> right? There's two things here that, that totally change how you look at your life. The first thing we said, born again. Um, and then there's living hope. I want to focus in on the living hope first. Your hope in this life is whatever you believe gains you acceptance with God. That's what that is. That's, your, that's, that's honestly your God in the, in the moment. What you believe gains you acceptance before God. Is it a life that is lived purely? You try, I've never, I've never done this or that. I'm, I'm, I'm judging myself on somebody else's standards of how other people are living. Whatever it may be, is that how you're, are you, are you basing your acceptance before God on someone else or on the word of God? Whatever you base your hope in, whatever you base your, whatever gains you acceptance before God is what you put your hope in. So my question for you this morning, rhetorically, what do you put your hope in? Most people believe that God's accepting them is based on how good they are or how well they keep the rules of their religion. And that may, that, that may work fine for you, but guess what? You're going to fail. Anybody that says they don't fail in this room, you're lying. We can pray for you this morning. And then you start wondering, well, how good is good enough? What's, what's your standard of good in this place this morning? If goodness is the, the standard that you have for living your life to get to heaven, what's the standard for your goodness? Jesus says it's perfection. Be holy as I am holy. So are we, are we able to get? No, we're not. We need Jesus to stand in the gap. What scales do you use to base your goodness on? The gospel is that Jesus has earned our acceptance on the cross. He paid the penalty for our faith. The resurrection is God's declaration that he accepted Jesus' payment on our behalf. Because in the resurrection, what God did, he declared that Jesus' payment on the cross was sufficient. It's done. What did Jesus say? He said, it is finished. He didn't say, I'm finished. He said, it's finished. Now, no, it's time to get to work. 
Let's, let's, get, let's get this thing going here. And now Jesus stands at the throne of God alive, testifying to the fact of that. Spurgeon said, you stand before God as if you were Christ because Christ stood before God as if he were you. Think about that for a moment. Your sin required payment. You have two options. You can pay the debt or you can allow Jesus to pay the debt for you. My suggestion was that you would let Christ pay that debt for you. This morning, he said, you stand before God as if you were Christ. If you're a Christian in this place, you stand before God as if you were Christ, fully accepted. Because Christ stood before God as if he were you, full of sin. The resurrection is proof that the cross worked. Do you hear that? The resurrection is proof that the cross worked. Death and sin have and always will be defeated. Right? In Christ, you have been set free. So it's time for the church to start living free. And if you're not a part of the church and you're not a Christian in this place this morning, literally all you need to do is bow your knee to Jesus and you too can be set free. Some of you, I, I, we're in the Bible Belt, so I can assure you that just by sheer percentages, there's someone in this room who has been living a false life of faith in this place. You've been trying to follow a religion of, of being a Southern Baptist, of being a United Methodist, of being a non-denominational Christian, of being a Catholic, of being all, trying to fit in this place of getting accepted before God. And this morning, God may be talking to you and saying, you need to bend your knee to me this morning because you've been bending your knee to religion and not Jesus. My heart this morning is that you would turn to Christ. Paul says, I have a living hope kept in heaven for me. It's safe. The living Jesus stands there to, for my acceptance into heaven. And whatever Satan, the accuser, brings something against me before the Father, which sometimes is true, right? It's true Like, yeah, I, I was a sinner. I was a liar. I was, I was filled with lust and greed and all types of sin and iniquity in my life. Jesus says I paid for that. That's paid for. It's paid for. Let him in. It's paid for. It's paid for. Most people in our culture believe that all religions teach the same thing, but our hope is not in how well we've lived, but it's in the hope of the cross and in Jesus' resurrection. So thank God that in the resurrection, I now have a living hope that is no longer based on me. I can go before, I can go before God, and when Satan's tempting me to despair, I can say, you know what, God, he's right, but thank God you sent Jesus to save me and cover me. That's the beauty of the gospel. But so many Christians live in bondage because you believe that Jesus' resurrection is not sufficient. My heart will be this morning that we would be a church that believed that the resurrection was sufficient. But more than that, Peter says, in the resurrection, I'm born again. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. What that means is God has started the process of new life in me. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, anyone who's in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone and see the new is here. I love that. The new is here. It's, just, it's a present reality. I'm a new creation in Christ. I'm being made new. I'm being made into the image of Christ. The power of resurrection turned Peter, a denier of Jesus, into Peter, the church leader. And that same power is available to you this morning. I want to tell you something this morning, and people might bow their heads, but don't you bow your heads. At Connection Church, people here, this place is full of people who have stories of past and tragic mistakes. People who have spent time in jail, people who have been on drugs, people who are unfaithful to their spouses, people who are struggling through divorce, people who are filled with bitterness and racism and hate and all types of things, right? My, I was on that list. So were you in some fashion. But God changed us. God made us new, not because we were decent people who needed a second chance, but because we were dead people who needed to be made alive. And that's the beauty. Do you feel like you've too messed up for God or you made too many mistakes? Your addictions are too strong. So maybe you're, you're just defeated from trying and failing over and over and over again. Guys, there is a God in heaven that sent his son to save you from your sin. If you don't believe me, I want you to watch this testimony from a brother named Lee Helms um, from our campus in Vidalia. Check it out. During that time, I, uh, I started watching pornography. Um, a lot of guys on the team did it, so I just thought if I did it too, it was fun and cool. Well, I ended up becoming very addicted to it. 
both my parents were uh, school teachers. Uh, my dad was a high school football coach, so we were always around sports. Basically, that's the only time we got to see him was around football practices and games and stuff, so my brother and I was always there. I played uh, high school football and baseball. Um, I started dating when I was a, a junior in, in high school. Um, that was basically when I first started going to church was with her and stuff. So I would attend retreats and there was always, um, you know, salvation calls that they have it. I responded to one of the salvation calls and, you know, I thought I, I said the prayer and I thought I, you know, asked Christ to be in my life. I was completely wrong. I was, you know, going on, going to church on Wednesday nights and having sex during the middle of the week. So my first year of college, I was still dating my high school sweetheart. I ended up getting a uh, scholarship in baseball. As most college athletes do, they start getting attention from, from other females. Well, instead of being faithful and strong-hearted, I gave in. I ended up getting caught cheating with a girl, so I ended up breaking up with my high school sweetheart and jumping right into another relationship. And I thought that, um, that I would change, but I couldn't do it. Uh, I started abusing alcohol a lot more. At the end of that relationship, I ended up getting her pregnant, and um, we had a, a beautiful little girl. Um, I loved her death, she's my world, but I was in a basically a dark place and nobody knew it. We got a divorce, and I mean, before I knew it, I was a every other weekend dad. There was a span of, of three years that I didn't, I didn't have a relationship, I just, would go out after any girl that I could could basically get. I was drinking a lot more, basically every night of the week. After that went on and on, I finally ended up meeting, which would be my second wife. The same exact thing happened. I was unfaithful. We ended up getting a divorce. While all this was going on, um, I was attending church. Uh, basically, I was just making everybody fooled. I was faking everybody out, making the outside look great and my, my inside was still living for sin in my selfish ways. During that time of being unfaithful, I ended up meeting the third long relationship, which her name's Heather. During our relationship, she, she started to come to church here at Connection. She would invite me to come, and I would always kind of make an excuse, or, you know, I'm going hunting Sunday morning, or, I'm going to hang out with this guy Sunday morning or basically I was I was scared to death to come to connection because I knew almost everybody that came to church here. They knew me, they knew my past, I knew the pastor Billy. It was more of a thing of me being just completely ashamed of stuff that I've done and I really didn't want to show my face in church. As time went on, um, I ended up breaking down and I started coming. I really enjoyed it, um, the messages started hitting me hard in my heart. Um, I always felt like Billy was talking straight towards me. They always talked about connect groups, and uh, I would always think in my head, there's no way I'm going to a connect group. We ended up finally going, and uh, it wasn't as bad as what I expected. Um, I remember the first night we went, we all sat around. It was a bunch of guys that, you know, I'd play baseball with in high school and known for a long time. Billy was leading a group. We got in the Bible study. It was it was a, a, a first step for me. It was it, it made me feel you know good inside, like, and I felt like God was working inside me then. Then I felt like God started like changing me. I just had an urge to to start you know getting to know the Lord more. During our connect group one night, um, it might have been the third or fourth night that I had attended, and um, Billy would always send out questions, so it would help us better understand the verses and kind of apply it to our lives. And uh, we were going over um, 1 John and um, where it talks about walking in the light and not in darkness and being close to God. And I think one of the questions was, um, you know, what's holding you back from walking in the light? I remember I was one of the last people to go in our small group to tell what was holding us back. So when it got to my turn, you know, I told them that I was you know, addicted to alcohol. I was addicted to pornography. Um, I was addicted to all kind of sexual sin. And in that moment, man, it was 
It was like the world just lifted off my shoulders. God right then was, was pouring out his mercy and his grace on me. After that night, after small group, God just really started working in my life. Um, he changed my desires. Uh, he, he took away those sins that I couldn't take away from myself. He took away the urge for me to, to view pornography. He took away the urge of me wanting to, to get drunk and abuse alcohol. Me and, me and Heather were living together at a time. Uh, he started convicting me about us living together before marriage. We decided to, uh, to move out and, uh, until we got married. As we got married, man, Christ just blew up in our lives. Um, I was serving her, she was serving me. We were living, uh, you know, a godly marriage. Um, I really had a, uh, it was really laying on my heart um, about all my friends that didn't know Christ. Uh, people, you know, that I worked with that didn't know Christ. And I just wanted to share to them what Christ was doing in my life. So God has given me ample opportunities to share my testimony with people to help somebody that's struggling with something. Um, basically, he's, he's given me the pathway to help a bunch of people change their lives. It's just an undescribable feeling how God can take somebody like me and the stuff that I've done and the stuff that I've been through and still love me and, and change me from the inside out. I won't never forget people saying this at, at Connection. It's one thing that always stuck with me was it's okay not to be okay. He meets us exactly where we're at and changes us forever. Amen. What a beautiful story. That's what we're talking about this morning. You heard you heard Lee tell you that when God came into his life, his desires changed, his heart began to change. Listen, because of the resurrection, what I want to show you this morning is God breathed new life into Jesus' body. A body that was dead, the body that had the blood had stopped flowing, the nerves had stopped working. God breathed new life again into a body that was dead so that we also could be made new in Christ. Because I want to tell you something this morning. When you believe, God will bring breathe new life into you too if you'll open your heart to him. And because of that, the third point I want to show you this morning is Peter's future was secure. Are you with me this morning? Like Peter's future was secure in that moment. Peter says, through the resurrection, we now have an inheritance that will never spoil our fate. It's forever kept in heaven for us. And one of the things you learn as you get older is that everything spoils, <laughs> right? If you're, if, you're, if you're older in here this morning, you know what I'm talking about. I'm getting older now, and it's like, well, nah, that's fragile, right? Money, that'll, that'll, that'll go away quick, right? Uh, health, anybody in here still talking about the glory days of athletic abilities, right? back in the day, you know, okay, bro, you're old, stop, you know what I mean? Like that, I'm talking about myself. Um, your, your, your mental health, like, you know, you don't get smarter as you get old. You can, it kind of declines there a little bit. Your loved ones, your wife, your mother, your father, your children, your husband, you can't hold on to any of it. You can't hold on to any of it. And the life of faith and unbelief are never more contrasted than in how the unbeliever and the believer approaches the reality of death. An atheist author wrote in a book that as he approached death, the darkness that he'd always feared was finally overtaking him. If you're a person who doesn't know Jesus and your life has been filled with tragedy, you just have to endure that until death. And I want you to contrast that with um, a lady named Joni Erickson Tata. She was driving and had an accident um, that, that resulted in her being paralyzed and bound to a wheelchair. And I heard an interview where she talked about how she felt when she couldn't run or walk anymore. And she said, one day I, I caught myself envying people who nailed at the altar to pray. And, and then it occurred to me, the first thing that I'm going to do on my new legs is drop to my glorified knees and worship Jesus who saved me. And then I'll do a backflip. Man, what, a, what an outlook on life. What an outlook on, on life. The assurance of the resurrection. What are you going to hope in when death comes? What do you do when life treats you poorly or makes you feel worthless? You, de you defy the lies with the resurrection. 
This morning, if you don't have Christ as your Savior in this room, you don't have that opportunity. My heart would be that you would turn your life over to Christ this morning because the cross and the resurrection, they have the final word in your life. And in this world, you preach to yourself that the resurrection, that this is not my home. You're loved by the King of kings, cherished by the King of all things, and he's coming back for you. The resurrection means that God loves you and that he keeps his promises. Guys, he proved that through not only putting Jesus on a cross for your sin, but also by raising him from the dead, defeating death. The resurrection is God's promise what he's making us into and that he's coming back for us. And so this morning as we close and get ready to go back into a song of worship, in just a moment we're going to have some baptisms. We're going to look at this very real reality of what happens in this moment of, re- of salvation and resurrection. This morning faith has a starting point. It's the resurrection. The resurrection tells me that Jesus is who he says he is, that my past doesn't define me, and that my future is secure. And that if you're not in Christ, in fact, that you are in Christ, that your future is secure in Him. He's making you into someone new, and He's coming back for you. And the resurrection is a gift to all who would receive it. It's a free gift of salvation. It's, it's free. It doesn't require anything of you. Uh, you. The only thing you offered this is your sin, and God paid for it through Jesus on the cross. And He's making you into someone new. But you have to receive it. Joshua 18, verse 3 said, Joshua asked the Israelites, How long will you delay going out to take possession of the land that the Lord your God gave to your fathers? How long will you wait? Will you wait another Easter? Will you wait another church service? Will you wait another week? Will you wait another day to take possession of the gift that God has extended to you through Jesus? Jesus wants to save you. He wants to transform your heart into his own image and to put a new spirit inside of you. But you have to surrender to his invitation. So today, I just want to ask you, um, I was was listening to a sermon this week um, from from a a pastor, and I was reminded of this story, and I want to share it with you. But he asked today, if you were to die and you were to stand in the gates of heaven, what what would you say? If 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 you answered that question any in the first person, you'd immediately get it wrong. If you said, I believed, or I had faith, or I lived my life a certain way, you'd immediately be wrong. Because I want to tell you something this morning, the only right answer is the third person. Because he, because Jesus, because of what Christ has done on the cross, because of what he's done. And think about this thief for a second. This is what this pastor went to. He said, think about this thief for a second. He says, I can't wait to find that guy in heaven and just ask him, hey, tell me about how that went when you got to heaven. Tell me me about that interaction, how that went down. You know, he says, I can't wait to find out how that went. You were cussing Jesus out with your friend just moments before your death. You never went to a Bible study. You never got baptized, but you still made it. What? what? Think about what the angel at the gates must have said, right? Think about, what are you doing here? The guy was like, I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing here. I know nothing about anything. And the angel's like, what What do you mean you don't know? What do you mean you don't know? And the angel's like, let me get my supervisor, my supervisor angel to come down. He says, let's talk about the the doctrine of justification. He's like, never heard any of that. what, What basis are you here for? And the guy just says, the man on the middle cross told me I could come. That's, that's the basis of his faith is that Jesus told him he could come. And I'm telling you this morning, what about you? Maybe this morning you've been playing games in your faith and you've said, hey, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but your life says otherwise. Maybe you've been going to church your whole life and you've never truly given your faith, your life to Jesus. You're bending your knee to a Lord. You may love the Savior Jesus, but the Lord Jesus kind of makes you feel funny because he, you know, he's in control. This morning, I just want to tell you what we said at the beginning is Christ made Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin on our behalf so that we might stand before God like Christ. This morning, if you have never made a decision to follow Jesus, if, you have ne- if your life has never been resurrected, if you've never been born again, you know who I'm talking to. If you're in this room, you know. I pray that you would receive the free gift of salvation that's found. Like Joshua said, how long will you wait? How long will you wait? Guys, we have people that want to pray with you. We have people that want to walk with you through that decision. This morning, if that's you, I want you to do something really bold. I just want you to lift your hand and say, Michael, that's me this morning. 
That's me this morning. Is there anybody in this room this morning? I want to put my faith in Jesus this morning. The resurrected King. Is that anybody? All right. Well, just a few moments, we're going to go through another song. And I pray that if the Lord's working in your heart, that you would do business with Him. This altar is not a place of shame. Coming to one of our prayer partners is not a, is not a uh, place of shame. It's a place of help. It's a place of, of doing life together. I pray that you would go up to one of these guys and say, hey, I need Jesus, and they'll take you through the rest. If, you have, if you're having stuff that you feel like you need help with, go to these guys. Let's pray together. Let's get, let's get real with each other. In just a few moments, we're going to be having a, a baptism celebration. This morning, we believe as a church that your baptism should be on the right side of your salvation. We believe if you got baptized as a young kid and, and then you got saved later on in life, that you need to be baptized because that first time you got baptized was just you getting wet. Right? So this morning, if, if you believe your next step is baptism, you say, hey, today I need to make that step. I need to get baptized today because I put my faith in Jesus. And I remember in Acts where, where Philip comes into the Ethiopian eunuch, he says, what's stopping me from being baptized? I've turned my life over to Christ. And we have people that want to talk to you to affirm that and to kind of walk with you in that too. So if that's you, whenever the music plays, come to one of our prayer partners and say, hey, that's my next step today. We have clothes for you. We have underwear for you. We have a shirt for you. We have a towel for you. So all those excuses are off the table. So anyway, I want to pray for you. As I pray, you come. Whatever, whatever thing the Lord is leading you to do, you follow his leading, not mine. So I'll, let's pray. Lord, I love you. I praise you. I thank you for what you're doing in this house. I praise you for, for, for loving us when we were unlovable, God. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for the resurrection. God, I pray for resurrection power to flow through this place. I pray that, that hearts would be resurrected, Father, that, that lives would be changed, that marriages would be restored. God, that, that hearts would be made new, Father. I pray that sin would be destroyed in people's lives this morning, that people would come and just confess that they need you as their Lord to take over their life, to bend their knee to a Savior walk in newness of life. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We ask this in Jesus' name.